1: Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production.
0: For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast.
1: Hello and welcome into another episode of the Purple Podcast. I guess I could say a special episode. Matthew Collar here with you and from inside the pylon, the Scouting Academy, probably other stuff too, uh, my buddy Brandon Thorne, who I consider to be my favorite go-to guy for analyzing offensive lines. How are you, Brandon.
0: I'm doing good, Matt. Thanks for that introduction. I appreciate it.
1: Well, sure thing. Now, it's funny because I I imagine not too many fan bases are thinking about their offensive line as much as people here in Minnesota. I mean, if you're a good offensive line, you're all set. If you're a bad offensive line, maybe you're hopeful. But I would describe the Minnesota fan as being terrified of what could happen on this offensive line. After watching last year and after watching the preseason so far, they had one decent game against Seattle, but then a really poor game against the San Francisco 49ers. So I don't know if you'll be able to uh, calm people down here, uh, Brandon, but we'll start in a good place for you, which is Pat Elfline. Uh, You helped me analyze some tape for an article that I did on Elfline earlier this offseason. If people didn't read it, they could go back and take a look, but... Why don't you tell me again, as you've told me several times since he was drafted, why you are very high on Pat Elfline?
0: Just studying his tape, first of all, it was really, just really, really solid tape. Um, A whole lot, just really consistent, you know, in his technique, um, executing his assignments. Um, He was just a technically sound player, but he also played with that edge, you know, that makes offensive linemen you know, in general, special that competitive toughness that you love to see at an elite level. So that and then, you know, he's strong as well, plays with really good leverage. Um, was an excellent wrestler in high school and you can kind of see some of that the way he uses his hands to gain leverage on guys um in the run game, especially. So there's a lot of little things that I liked about him that added up to me thinking, you know, I thought you can get him at the end of the first, early second, and you know, that'd be good value. Um, so to get him where Minnesota got him, you know, I was excited about that and uh, everything in preseason that I've seen and I've watched every snap that I that I know of, um, unless I turned it off, you know, on a series too early or something. I, I think he uh, did really well. You know, I think it confirmed a lot of things that I saw on tape and um, he looked comfortable out there. I mean, I maybe, you know, a handful of missed assignments, but that's what preseason's for. And as a rookie, you know, I, I thought he looked really good. So. I'd be excited about him.
1: One of the things that I've been thinking about with Elfline is just how he could improve the running game with his power and and athleticism. Because I feel like that was something...
0: Right. Second-level blocks. Yeah. You've seen a lot of those in preseason. Yeah, it the was preseason.
1: really missing so much on last year's offensive line. Though I would say everything was missing last year right. on the, on the right. offensive line. But with Delvin Cook here, this team is going to run outside zone scheme all day long, I think, with Cook. Because he has great vision and patience. He's a very smart running back. And I don't know yet if Elfline is going to be the starter. We thought that we would know after the third game, but then uh, Mike Zimmer has thrown some changeups at us, so we're not really sure still who the starting five offensive linemen are going to be, whether it's going to be Elfline or Nick Easton, but if Elfline is the starter there at center, how much does that benefit the running game?
0: I think it benefits the running game tremendously, especially the outside zone because, I mean, they ran that quite a bit at Ohio State. They ran a lot of zone inside and outside, and um, I think that'll be just a natural fit for him, you know, and with everything I said before in terms of the skill set, I think, you know, you're matching up his skill set well with the scheme at that point if you're going to more of a zone type of base. So um, that's just for him personally, you know, that, of course, there's different skill sets on that offensive line that, you know, talk about, but, um, but yeah, that's a great fit for Elf line.
1: Well, I wanted to start with the good first, and now, okay. and, and now the, and now the more shaky. Yeah, now the more shaky because what I'm concerned about if they run an outside zone scheme, which they're definitely going to, is that their starting right guard, I think. I think he's going to start, but I'm not sure still. Uh, Joe Berger is 36 years old. The starting left guard, Alex Boone, I was watching him closely the other night, and there was a play where they ran an outside zone run, and he had his eyes right on the linebacker. He's looking back. He's going to turn to hit the linebacker. Linebacker hits him, and he goes flying because he just didn't have – Uh, whatever you balance or leverage or whatever it might be and and he got crushed and then delvin cook got uh, taken down right after that when it could have been a big run if he had made his block there and it seems like alex boone is more fit for like a power scheme because he's so big and large and strong but getting out and moving i'm wondering how that's going to work at the guard positions i I think that's a, a concern for this team
0: yeah um You know, in the run game, I I do agree. I think his fit is better, Um, a little bit more coming up the field and exploding into guys, you know, right at the point of attack, right there, Um, working off double teams, you know, stuff like that. When you ask him to start combo blocking, moving laterally, um, you know, you could see some of the the movement, you know, inefficiency that he has, I would call it. Um, You know, he's had a lot of injuries, Mm -hmm. and I think that that is kind of worn on his big body, like you mentioned, because he has, you know, he's 6'8", legit six, eight, I think, and, uh, three ten. So he's definitely a big dude. And, um, you know, so the movement part, I don't think that he would uh, necessarily succeed at, um, you know, as much as, you know, he would in the other type of scheme, but I pass protection, he's a good player. Um, yeah. I think he was, you know, so I think just for that, you know, he's worth it to keep in there. Cause obviously on this offensive line, I don't think you have a better option. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, you know, so he's – I think he's going to be a positive in pass protection. And, you know, you'll you'll see some liability in the run game. But still, I don't know if you're going to go exclusively outside zone. But there's going to be other maybe inside zone mixed in there. And there he can really succeed.
1: I think where people are the most worried is on the two tackle spots. Uh, last yeah. year they were disastrous. and. I mean, part of it is the injuries, but even with Andre Smith and Matt Khalil in there, they really struggled uh, to protect Sam Bradford. Now it's Riley Reef and it's Mike Remmers, two guys that they spent a lot of money to bring to Minnesota, and the way I've looked at them, Brandon, is there will be good times and there will be bad times with these two players. I don't see them as top-notch pass protectors, but I also think that they should be majorly positive in the run game, that last year... Playing Jeremiah Searles, Jake Long, T.J. Clemmings, and on and on. I, I think those guys hurt the run game as much as they hurt the pass. So where do you see, uh, or how I guess do you view Reef and Remmers, and uh, how much of an improvement they might be?
0: I think it, you know they're going to be an improvement um, on an individual level, like in terms of what they totally contribute to the team. So in the run game, I think that that alone is going to be more positive than anything the tackles offered last year. Um, so in that sense, I think you're going to it's definitely an upgrade of both spots. Um, however, in pass protection, you know, Remmers is a guy that I I really liked in 2015, um, which I believe was his second year at right tackle or maybe even his first. But he, I, I liked how he developed that season. And then they moved him to left in 2016 because Michael War went down and it just kind of threw him off, took him a while to even get, you know, to a decent level. Um, Especially in pass protection, even though he was he just struggled at left tackle and now he's back at right. So I think he's a guy who needed that development time at right because I think this is clearly his best fit. Mm -hmm. So this season, you know, you're you're gonna get some bad with him though because I I consider him an average player um, with some good traits, you know, and those good traits come in the run game. Um, But he has some below average traits in pass protection and it kind of just evens out at that average level. That's kind of the way I look at his traits and. Um so you know, there's gonna be some negative and pass protection for sure with him. Um he's gonna struggle to expand, you know, his set point. So when a rusher has, you know, the ability to corner, he's gonna struggle, you know, carrying him past the quarterback at times. That's that's definitely an area that he struggles in. Um and then Riley Reef, I like a lot more at right tackle. Mm-hmm. I think he's a right tackle. I think last year in the beginning of the year, uh before he was out with his illness or whatever and when he came back he wasn't the same um and early in the year I thought he was looking really good at right tackle and I've just liked him at right better you know I just like I like his skill set over there more and I just think he looks better so him playing so as an individual I like his skill set but um left tackle man I mean I think that you know it's kind of kind of similar with Remmers but I think he um is a step above. He's more kind of of an average pass protector, in my opinion.
1: The one thing so, that I, yeah. the one thing that I notice about Riley Reef is that he's got some flexibility and athleticism to him, and I feel like when I watched him. Uh, go against athletic pass rushers he did okay when I was going back and looking at his 2015 tape but where he really was was struggling was against power rushers and Everson Griffin ate him alive in the tape that I watched you know if I I feel like if people are expecting Sam Bradford to have five seconds to throw and is going to have long developing routes this year then maybe you've set the bar a little too high
0: yeah, I mean, you know, if you're matching up against guys like Everson Griffin, you're talking about a guy who I just was saying is an average pass protector against an elite pass rusher. Right. That's a you know a couple of tiers above him. So, you know, you're going to struggle in those matchups certainly with Remmers and Reef. But, you know, if you want to keep it in perspective of this, of con- contrasting it from that last year to this year, I think there's going to be an improvement there. I mean, I don't have any doubt about it in my mind. Um, especially in that specifically in the run game, um, which, you know, it's going to make, I think, Bradford's job much easier. um, And I think there's going to be some benefit to that. But, you know, the run game has to work for you to be able to, I think, compete with this offensive line at a high level.
1: Do you have an opinion on Bradford? I know that I generally only call you for offensive line questions because there have been many, but as a – As a connoisseur of all football things and a very knowledgeable football person, um, I'm curious about your opinion on Bradford because here we discuss him every single day uh, the shortcomings, the strengths, the weaknesses, uh, but sometimes you could be a little too close you know, not, and not be able to see the forest through the trees sort of thing. Uh, so what what do you think as far as how Bradford can lead this offense and how good they might be now that he's got an average offensive line and a lot of weapons around him?
0: Um, I mean, I, I like the chances of Bradford being a good player. I think he's a good quarterback. Honestly, I think his accuracy um, specifically is, you know, very good, um, especially like short to intermediate areas of the field. I mean, he has, you know that upper tier type of accuracy. Um, he just needs, you know, obviously some time, um, which I think most quarterbacks do. And unfortunately he's played on a lot of offensive lines that haven't been very good. Um, yeah, some, you know, he's had some good players around him like in Philly at Joe Thomas and stuff, but he's struggled, I think a lot in his career with that and also injury. Um, but uh, you know, at the end of the day, if you have a quarterback who's very accurate and who could deal to multiple levels of the field, um, you know, I think that that's valuable. And, uh, you know, last year he got pressured like crazy and had a good year, um, best year of his career, you know, in pretty much every measure, I think. Um, so I just think, you know, considering the circumstances last year and what he did, um, the, the chances of him doing more this year, I think are very good. I mean, like you said, I, I like everything around him. And if he can have a running game, I mean, you know, that, that makes every quarterback better. And I think that that gets underrated sometimes.
1: Yeah, I also think. Uh, by the way, I think you meant Jason Peters instead of Joe Thomas, right?
0: Oh yeah, sorry.
1: Yeah, yeah, okay. Just just so I don't get tweets, you have to do that so you don't get tweets. It's obvious what you Got meant, you. but you know, Okay, no, no tweets. Um, with uh, yeah, well, I I agree with you that this will be the best opportunity of his career. The thing that I wonder yeah. about is the intangible parts of Sam Bradford, the that show up tangibly, if that makes sense. That. When the Vikings needed big plays out of him last year, they didn't get them very often. Uh, th- th- there were opportunities to have a final drive to win a game several different times and put this team in the playoffs, and it did not happen. Once against Washington, he throws a late-game pick. Against uh, Detroit, he throws a late-game interception on, the, on a final drive. And uh, against Dallas, too. He leads them down for the touchdown but can't convert the two-point conversion. And There's a little bit of wonder, I guess, if he can overcome some of those problems. Because, I, you know, I've never been this huge believer in clutch. It's kind of like you're not clutch until you are. Peyton Manning wasn't clutch and then won two Super Bowls, so I guess he is. Right? You know, sure. but... But with Bradford, I think you could see it with the third downs that he has one of the lowest third down average yards per attempt of any quarterback, that when his team is down by one score, all of his numbers go down. And I don't know if just better circumstances, how much that will help him with some of those uh, some of those things.
0: Yeah, I think a running game will help to an extent for sure. I mean, I don't know if he's had a really good running game. I mean, I know in Philly, you know, they, they had that, you know, for a little while, but I don't know. I think with a good running game, it'll definitely help him. But like you said, I mean, you pointed out these inefficiencies in big moments. I mean, there's only, you know, five, six quarterbacks in the league who are consistent in those moments, you know, really. Um, I, I mean, in my, you know, if you want to talk about like elite quarterbacks, you know, there's a pretty big drop off, you know, after you get past them. And I think Bradford is in that that next tier, you know, and that's a big tier though. And that's what most of the league is dealing with guys who, you know, in big moments don't always come up, you know, and I think with Bradford, it's mental processing is a big part of the toughness. You know, there's probably elements of that could be a little shell shocked from early in his career. You know, there's a lot of different things it could be, but, um, you know, it's just in the grand scheme of 32 quarterbacks in the NFL, you know, I think Bradford's in the top 15.
1: this is it's going to be a really interesting year, I think, because at the end, we'll know where he stands, that there will not be any more excuses or explanations. I mean, excuses can be told. There's always going to be
0: context.
1: Yeah, because, I mean, at at any point in his career, you could say that it wasn't really his fault that he struggled as much as he did. And I would agree. I mean, in Philadelphia, he gets there and they trade Deshaun Jackson and Lashawn McCoy, two of the best players in the NFL. They get rid of them. And, and, I mean, how was that going to help him? He had a lot of drops that year. So even though he had better protection, it seemed also like... Uh, they were figuring out Chip Kelly's scheme at that point. So it wasn't a great situation there. And then he comes to Minnesota, and it looks like it's all set up great for him. Then Adrian Peterson gets hurt. Then the line gets hurt. So now, at least unless someone gets hurt during this fourth preseason game, you're going to go into a regular season fully healthy. And then with Delvin Cook, too, Brandon. I mean, I, I have been blown. That's what I'm
0: saying. I'm, I'm considering th- your running game good because <laughs>
1: <laughs> right, did you, you what did what did you think of him coming out in the draft because I've been truly blown away by Delvin Cook watching him in training camp.
0: I mean, like you mentioned, I think vision is a big part of it, um but also lateral quickness, lateral agility, change of direction. Those are things, you know, that don't always get measured at the combine necessarily cuz, you know, if you're if your mental processing is really good as a zone running back and you can see holes before they open and and make that one cut and go decisively that makes you faster on the field you know play speed his play speed has always been i think his top trait yeah you know and and that's that's just you know he's just a smart you know i mean scott McLuhan is saying that all the time on twitter now he's just a football player you know i mean that's what he says about guys he's like yeah frank Gore gore's football player uh any position you're a football player and it just kind of—I think Dalvin Cook's one of those guys. And I think a big part of that word and that term is comes from play speed, and that's kind of the trait that's being described there. And Dalvin Cook has it. You know, I just—I just think he does.
1: What's impressed me, and I'll tease a future article that's coming out. I've talked to almost ten people, ten different people within the Vikings and uh, people close to Cook about just him and what's upcoming here for him in the future. One of the things that's come up unequivocally in my interviews is how smart he is and i don't know that people mm. would have expected that because of the character issues it frustrates me brandon that people just say on tv this guy's got character issues and it's such a wide vague term that he was yeah it's he, kind was, of it's unfair yeah it's unfair and it also doesn't say anything about the makeup of a football player and whether you can right. succeed or not i mean it maybe with him it's Could he get in trouble, possibly? But um, I had one person who has been around a very long time in the NFL say, this guy comes to work every day. He's a studier. He's very smart. He's grasped the offense extremely quickly. Like, those things you would put in your top-notch makeup and character categories, and yet he was just blasted over and over and over again for the the character thing. It just frustrates me, Brandon.
0: Yeah, there's also – that's why I like separating character from personal character and football character yeah, as an evaluator. Right. You know, cause football character is totally different. It's competitiveness, work ethic. Um, and that could be totally different from the personal side, you know, and that actually, that happens a lot with players, I think, you know, um, but, and that's what kind of scares, you know, that's what allowed him to fall where he did. And I think it's a good thing that he's in Minnesota and far away from pretty much everything and uh, he could probably really just focus up there. I, mean, I would imagine that's kind of, you know, a, a dynamic there that's at play that's helping him out, you know.
1: Yeah, interestingly enough, I won't give away too much of my article, and hopefully you can't hear the plane flying over me right now. I'm sitting on the back deck. <laughs> um, but uh, the team has put him in a great situation, put his locker next to Teddy Bridgewater, <laughs> right? So, like, they've tried to do everything they can uh, to make sure that, he learns from the right people in Minnesota, and I think Mike Zimmer has put a ton into making sure he has a, a high-character team, even though, I mean, there are some players, uh, you know, Michael Floyd had issues off the field and things like that, but I think that they're trying to do everything they can uh, to help him succeed. But, uh, Brandon, before I— That's good to hear. Yeah, I, I think it's just smart management. I mean, you bring the, the right. guy in, and you put his locker next to Terrence Newman and, and Teddy Bridgewater, and you say, "Listen, yeah. listen to them. And it sounds to me like he's been all ears, which is a a majorly positive sign, and one of the reasons that I uh, am confident in where he's going to go. As long as they block for him, I mean that's still right. I'm (laughs) I'm still. I know you say they're better in run blocking, but we'll believe it when we see it, right? Um, Although you couldn't be worse than yeah, right.
0: That's the thing. I'm, (laughs) I'm not operating off of a lot of you know of a high base. (laughs) Right, right,
1: exactly. So, Brandon, you're working on an awesome four-part series about the uh, offensive lines around the league and the best offensive lines. And um, I've heard a source told me that you didn't name the Vikings one of the best offensive lines heading into the season. I'm very sad and disappointed about that. Uh, But what, what can you tell me from you going through, grinding the tape, as they say, about, uh, some of the league's best offensive lines and, and who we need to watch for this year?
0: Yeah, so I just think kind of a theme of the article for me that I hope I conveyed was just that, you know, consistency on offensive line experience together was really important. And I think typically the, the guys who mesh the best together are, you know, the best offensive lines. I think that's a huge part of the chemistry aspect. So that was a, that was kind of a theme in my ranking, you know, system. How I how I ranked them. I ranked them based off of uh, individual skill set and physical tools. So basically, technique and, you know, athleticism, play strength, things like that, and then experience playing together and production. Um, so you know, I had Oakland first, Dallas second, um, Pittsburgh third, Tennessee fourth and uh, Green Bay fifth. And then I mentioned Philly, Washington, and Buffalo as kind of my next three. So those are kind of the top eight, in my opinion, going into the year. Based on last year, based on who is still there, who is gone, you know, that's the only reason Dallas is number two for me. And I put them in their own tier. So tier one is just Oakland and Dallas. Mm -hmm. And then it goes down to tier two. So, I mean, they're kind of interchangeable in my mind. But I put Oakland first. I just think... This is going to be their best year. Um, they're, they're the oldest um, average starting five of the top five, um, you know, which is kind of interesting. They they have a you know good amount of experience together. Penn and Gabe Jackson have been on the same offensive line for three or four years, and then uh, you know just their physicality I think is going to be at an all time high this year, especially with Marshawn Lynch. Um, what they did last year for Derek Carr, you know. Uh, reducing his pressures and sacks almost in half, um, you know, from the previous year, I, you know, I just think that's going to keep improving car is going to be able to develop, you know, continually, I think, well, because literally, I mean, their offensive line, like scares other men <laughs> on the football field. It's, it's crazy. You see them run away from them, you know, if they can, I have a clip on there of a linebacker avoiding uh, Kaleche Osemele, their left guard, and he just taunts them down the field, knowing that this linebacker doesn't want any. So stuff like that, you know, just physicality. I think in the run game, they're going to be dominant. And then in the pass game as well. Um, but Dallas, you know, with Leo Collins and uh, Ronald Leary being gone, being replaced by probably Jonathan Cooper. I think that's being underplayed a little bit. Um, but I do think Leo Collins is going to be an upgrade